welcome to the Leading Through the Enneagram podcast. I'm your host, Rachel Pritz. Together, we will explore how the Enneagram typology system applies to leadership. We interview leaders that share their Enneagram journey and how it's impacted the way they lead in their organizations, in their communities, and in their personal lives. My guest today is Darren Earlywine. And he's such a dynamic guy. I had so much fun talking with him, a quintessential Enneagram 7. So um, you'll like him the second you hear his voice. Um, He is often found speaking at conferences, summer camps, on the radio, in bars, and he's consistently inspiring people to discover their worth so they can live with peace, passion, and purpose. In 2009, Darren created Pub Theology to bring conversations about faith back into everyday spaces and places in life. In 2016, he started Radio Theology, a weekly radio show on WCPL 99.5 here in Indianapolis. And soon after that, he started the Born to Be podcast, and it was really launched just to share stories of ordinary people living out their calling. Darren's helped more than 3,000 individuals move from feeling insignificant to understanding their worth and creating their future through his online and live workshops called Spiritual DNA. Darren's favorite role has been being married to Julie for 18 years and being Cole, Ty, and Knox's dad. So Darren and I had a great conversation, and I love, he's got a, kind of a similar mission to to mine, but he really hones in on the spiritual piece of it, um, which I love because that's a gap that I don't um, often fill. So I help people with career transition and finding purpose in their um, everyday work and those types of things, but I don't dig as deep into the spiritual aspect of things. And so, um, of course, the Enneagram um, is a spiritual tool, um, not a religious tool, but a spiritual tool. And so we have that connection point there, but um, he's doing great things. Go look him up and um, check out his program. So he's got some great things going on. Okay, let's jump on in. Okay, welcome, Darren, to the podcast. Stoked to be here. It's going to be fun. Yeah. So we got connected because we are fellow Enneagram enthusiasts. And it's so funny because I was looking at your bio and all the stuff you've done, and I'm like, this guy sort of screams Enneagram 7. Like, I'm guessing if he gets bored, he moves on, right? And that's the common theme theme I hear from, you know, 7s. It's like when I say, do you get bored easy? They're like, oh, yes, I cannot stand doing the same thing over and over again. I need a lot of variety. So anyway, um, I think yes. I'm giving the listeners a little sneak preview there of maybe your type, um, but you can talk them through that. So if you just want to get started with how you got exposed to the Enneagram, um, how long it took you to really even land on your type, and then um, what you've done with it. So what, how have you used it as a growth tool? Yeah, absolutely. I, you know, I, I'm trying to think back of like what my first exposure to the Enneagram was. And it probably started with my counselor is in my brain what I'm thinking. Um, She, you know, discovered it and dove really deep in and has used it a ton in, in, in our sessions. It's been years now, though. I just remember I can't remember. I'm, I'm going to guess it was her. And then I remember downloading uh, one of the apps, maybe the India app or something like that, where you could take the assessment. And I just remember the first time I started reading the types, literally, I think I probably spent an hour just, you know, doing a deep dive and reading everything I could. And I was like, 
oh my gosh, it's like, this is somehow, you know, someone has gotten into my life and explained it all. And, you know, I, I'm huge on, on different assessments. I have a, a course I developed called Spiritual DNA, where you go through five different assessments to really discover who, uh, who God has created you to be. And so I'm kind of a, a junkie in that kind of stuff. So obviously I jumped in and loved it. But what I saw right off the bat is, is the layers of, of understanding motive, understanding, um, you know, um, drive processing of information, all the different things that were, that were layered upon the Enneagram. I was enthralled, uh, right away from, from that. And it didn't take me long at all. Uh, as I'm reading through, uh, once I got to types, you know, seven, I was like, ding, ding, ding. Like was <laughs> there was no, uh, there was no mystery. And so, um, right away knew that I was a type, um, seven. You know what? It was. It, now, now that it's, I'm telling the story, my brain's working. It was my counselor because she had me take it. And then when, uh, when my whole results uh, report came back, I was actually kind of pissed when I first read it because it was like, you identify with the unhealthy side of this and you and I didn't identify with the unhealthy side of the wing of this. And, like, and so I, I didn't understand the terminology at that point. I just was like, like, this doesn't seem fun. Like, this is a, you know, like, this is telling me that I have growth and that I identify with unhealthy parts. Like, ugh, like, listen, move on. Um, but then as I begin to dig and, and understand more and the, the deeper I've, you know, gone down the rabbit hole, uh, the more I've understood the, you know, how it's helped me understand not just in leadership, but just in relationships to where I need to grow and, and what blind spots I need to keep, you know, keep a, a handle on. And, you know, in, in its, you know, as I move more and more towards maturity, where the strength of each type comes in. Yeah. Well, and I would say if you don't get a little pissed during this process, then you probably are doing it wrong. So this is really, yeah, it's really uncovering the kind of darkest shadow side of ourselves. Mm -hmm. And the interesting thing about it is that usually the thing that is the best thing about ourselves is also the worst thing (laughs) about ourselves. And so, and a lot of it depends on how healthy we are within that type. So I kind of equate it to a grief journey in some ways. So you get this where you're like, no, and there's this, like often this like anger even, you know, like yeah. I can't believe this person's trying to tell me, you know, that I'm unhealthy in this part of my life. And so then you go through all the phases and then you ultimately get to acceptance. And then it's like, okay, now it's time to really do the growth work, right? When mm-hmm. you've accepted the fact that yes, this this is this is how I show up in the world. This is no longer serving me. So I'm gonna make some some shifts here, some intentional shifts. Well so many people I think are so they lack so much self-awareness that when you first read like your, you know, your dysfunction, you know what I mean? Or your, mm-hmm. your passion or whatever, however, there's different ways that it's defined. So for like a seven, right, it's gluttony. And like, I remember reading it being like, screw that. And then yeah. I was like, um, uh, nah, I should write on, you know? <laughs> yeah. And then I can remember, you know, uh, going through it with, a, you know, with a bunch of our friends. I think the thing with the Enneagrams, you get into it and then all of a sudden, like, everybody, you know, that you know, is like loving it and has to figure it out. And so uh, the type nines that I've had go through it are hilarious, because, you know, when it goes through and it says sloth, you know, in some of the assessments, they freak out, like, that sounds terrible. But then they realize, like, not totally true. Yeah, no, that's me. So um, when I first saw sloth, I was like, no, I get a lot done. And I'm like, wait a minute, but I'm also emotionally slothy. Like that was <laughs> that was the thing. Like I was really asleep to like my emotions. Like I was busy, but I wasn't getting the important stuff done either. Like I wasn't great at prioritizing things. So for yeah, sure, yeah. 
no doubt that was that was a thing for me. So I'm actually married to a seven. So when we first started, you know, walking through this and I said gluttony, he's like, no. And then it took him like, you know, a few weeks and he came back. He's like, I think that's true. I think that yeah. might be right. So yeah. 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 And I think you're right with the awareness factor. So for me as a nine, it was such a huge impact because I was totally asleep to who I was. Hmm. And so when I read some of the things, I was like, well, no because you know I wasn't aware of them. And so once I did the deep dive and really started doing the reflection time um, on my own, wow. I mean, it was like every day, it was like I was learning something new that was mind-blowing. And I was you know, mm-hmm. 33 years old and still didn't know these things about myself. So, mm-hmm. so I'm totally with you. I think that um, the awareness piece is like the first step. And then how do we get to that um, self-wisdom? You know, like how do we create more wisdom for ourselves? And then ultimately, how do we treat people differently? Um, or treat them the way they need to be treated because now we have information about all the other ways people show up in the world. So yeah, yeah, so tell me about the... First of all, we'll start with the personal impact with people that you know and love around you. How do you think that changed those relationships? Yeah, I mean, one of the things... um, My wife is a a six. And one of the eye-opening things as you as I dove in and you begin to look at the needs of a six and, and the loyalty of a six and the, the fears of a six and all these different things is the, the difficult part is uh, realizing is that me at my worst is is my wife's worst you know nightmare like yeah me being you know the, a shadow side of a seven or sometimes just a full throttle seven just pings everything that is you know, is a fear for her. I mean, and I look back at, you know, uh, and I knew some of this even from personality, you know, and I, I love how things weave together and just kind of brings you even either greater, um, you know, greater clarity or greater uh, confirmation, I guess, is like looking at, you know, I'm an ENFP as far as Myers-Briggs and, you know, she is, uh, I think she's, a, she's an ESTJ. And so the way that we, the way that we process information, everything is so opposite. And I knew it in that way, but then discovering more of the Enneagram part of it, as I realized that that <clears throat> I can remember early on in our marriage, every major decision would be a major battle for us. If I wanted to buy a car, I want the coolest, funnest, you know what I mean? <laughs> you know, and she wants practical and she's looking backwards in life and finding, you know, she's talking about budgets and what makes sense. And I'm thinking about, you know, we could do this and it'd be amazing. And I can intuitively see that this is going to be a thing and I'll probably get a raise and whatever. And, you know, and, or I'm dreaming about, you know, moving to California or something. And I'm enthralled by how amazingly fun and a new adventure it would be. And she's paralyzed by the thought that I'm about ready to uproot every amount of stability and and depth of relationship and everything. And so as I look back, I can see where that was at, you know, early in our marriage. But even now I realize that there are parts of being a healthy seven that actually can be an amazing gift in in a aid to what she needs to feel stable what she needs to feel strong and what she needs to feel safe and so it provides me with um i guess extra internal and external motivation to love well because i realize in in um in a lack of maturity and a lack of health you know I'll drive her nuts and, and not just nuts, but cause her pain. And I don't want to, you know, I don't want to do that. And, you know, and there's, there's ways that I see it even with, you know, looking at my, 
my oldest son, he's about turned 16. And, and I know you're not supposed to type your kids, uh, <laughs> but, but he, uh, he has, he has taken the assessment and he, um, if he's not a one, I don't, I don't know how there's any possible way that he's not a one. Yeah. And so it's helped us with our parenting of being able to help him process his drive to, to be perfect, his drive for everything to be, you know, the way it's supposed to be in his structure and, and, and being able to help him offer himself and other people, you know, grace in, in the process of life. And so, um, but it is funny to sing, you know, that he, I can't remember, it's, I think a, a one moves to a seven in yeah. in stress, right? Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. And so, uh, sometimes that's good for me because that's you know, any stressed out, he definitely wants to hang out with me. So that's a positive. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The one definitely has that connection with a seven. So that's interesting that you think you have a one child since you are a seven. So, <laughs> yeah. you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. And you know, usually, especially for type ones, even at the age of sixteen it's usually pretty clear to them. They'll read that and say, oh yeah. And you can see some of the behaviors that come out that are just spot on for a type Big 1. Time. So some of the other types can be a little tougher, I think, for kids. So yeah, I was actually just listening to a podcast with Richard Rohr on it and he's a type 1. And he was like, oh yeah, if you'd have told me this when I was 15, I would have known, you know, yeah. for sure. So yeah. yeah. And, what, and we've, in, you know, not just in relationships, we've brought it into the nonprofit that I lead. Um, you know, there was a part, a, a time, a couple, maybe two years ago where we took everybody's um, spiritual DNA results as well as their Enneagram number and made everybody uh, a little frame kind of name plate. And we would have, when we would have team meetings, there was about seven of us on the team at that point. And we would, we would place that name plate in front of each person. So everybody had it visible. And so knowing as we, you know, educated ourselves as a team on Enneagram and, and what they needed and, and strengths and weaknesses and all of this, it helped us even as we communicated with each other as a team and as we would lean into uh, each other to, to help make decisions or process information as we would know, you know, if we're making a, a, a more relational, um, uh, you know, relational type decision in our organization, uh, you know, we would ask for the input of the, of the two first. Yeah. Um, it, when we're, when we're processing deeper ideas and need somebody to help us kind of look at both sides of issues, you know, we would lean hard into, to the nine on our team. And so, um, those, those, uh, those elements, not just interpersonal at home and, and in family, but that's one of the ways that we've leaned to it, leaned into it even organizationally. Yeah. And I love that you've done things outside of just Enneagram. So of course, I talk a lot about Enneagram, but I've done a lot of work that kind of just intertwines within the Enneagram. And so I, I agree with you that I think that it can't just be a kind of a one, one piece of information. Like this is a great data source for us or piece of information about ourselves, but there's so much more out there too to continue this journey and exploring. And when you stop with Enneagram and just type, I actually see a lot of people over-identifying with their types, right? So it's like, well, we must call a type two because of this, you know, or we must call a type seven because of this. Um, they would be good at this, you know. And so I'm, I, just, I'm always, you know, kind of telling people, you know, don't over-identify with that type. You're so much more than that, right? Like we can be yeah. so diverse. I'd imagine that you've grown so much out of your sevenness. So if you're a healthy seven, you know, it's like you've integrated in with, you know, some of these other points of access that you have. Um, and developed, you know, stronger centers of intelligence between all three of those different centers, you know? And so, yeah, I, I just, I see, I see a lot of that. And I love when teams use it just how you described it. Like, I think that's a great way to use it and to sort of integrate it with other work that you've done too. So I, I love that. 
Yeah, I'm curious your thoughts about that, about the just the um, the over identifying or sort of I call it street enneagram or you know some of the memes and stereotypes that are out there. I think we're sort of missing the point there. Well, yeah, I think there's that, and I and I think of the the where I, where I see that become unhealthy, and and you know I get in conversations with people that uh, it's an interesting. I've never seen any kind of um, you know personality or or you know or self identification tool develop the kind of rabid fan base, you know, that <laughs> yeah. has. Yeah. And I never meet anybody that's like, you know, you're at a party and like they got a couple drinks in them. They're like, let's talk Myers Briggs. You know what I mean? Like it just yeah. <laughs> it, yeah. it, it doesn't happen. But uh I find myself often, you know, in a social setting and there's, you know, somebody that's, you know, stoked out of their mind about the Enneagram, which is cool because, you know, I I am too. But one thing that I see that I feel like gets into an unhealthy place is where people begin to use it almost as a shield for, for brokenness. Yeah. Or poor, or poor, uh, interpersonal skills or behavior where it's just yeah. kind of like a throw up my hands, like, well, you know, apes, I'm an eight, you know, just I'm a jerk. Am. Yeah. Put, put, gonna tell you how it is because I'm an eight. It's like, yeah. well, no, it doesn't like, and, and I say this a lot in, in a lot of the assessments that we'll do in, in, in my spiritual DNA course is like, n- no, you know, no Enneagram number, no personality type, no no sense of gifting or calling. Uh, none of it takes away the character development that needs to happen. Like no one is, no one gets to abdicate their opportunity and responsibility to to love. Yeah. Right. You can't be unloving. I mean, if, you know, we're talking about you know showing patience and kindness and gentleness and self control. Like you can't opt out of any of those loving behaviors because you're a type whatever, right. and so. That's that's a time that I see some people. Some sometimes the over identification becomes it becomes a shield from weakness, a shield and an excuse to not move towards health or growth or, or love. Yeah, yeah, no, I wholeheartedly agree. I'll have clients sometimes even that come to me and say, "Well, it's because I'm an enneagram this, or it's because I'm a D on disc," and I'm like, "Hold on, we're mm-hmm. we're here to grow," and so we can't. I, I think the Enneagram specifically doesn't allow you, if you dive in deep, it doesn't allow you to even almost have that. That's just how I am mentality. Because when you really look at how you can grow through it, it's like, oh, I actually can change this with some intention and some reflection and observation of myself. Um, and so I think it almost gives you like, like you don't even have that excuse anymore. Um, yep. But you have to dig in deep. So if you just stick with the nine types and that's it, yeah, it's probably not going to have the impact on you for sure. So... Yeah, so tell me a little more about spiritual DNA. I'm curious about this course and what it all involves. Yeah, well, thanks for asking. Yeah, I um, I've developed it over the past, I guess, I don't know, 15, 20 years, and the 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 passion behind developing it was was my own journey and my own pain. In that, um, in church circles, I grew up in the church, my pastor's kid, and you know, this may be a harsh. Uh, observation, but what it seemed to me is a lot of people trying really hard to being to, to really hard to be good, not do bad stuff. Seemed really like they were trying hard. They were burned out. They were bored, and were basically just waiting to die and hope they went to heaven. And for me, it was kind of like, man, as I as I read the scriptures, there seems to be this like a like an abundant, adventurous life that that God invites us into, but I don't see anybody living that. And I don't seem to see anybody like understanding how they fit in it. Like they're gaining a lot of knowledge about God. Right. And you know, I think John Calvin, there's been a lot of people say that all great knowledge, you know, becomes from the combination of, of knowledge of an increasing knowledge of ourselves and an increasing knowledge of God. 
but I've kept meeting people where they kept increasing their knowledge of God, but they had no practical application to how that that did anything, how they interacted with that at all. Other than, I guess I show up at church and try not to do bad stuff, which that's that's not good news. That that seems like a prison sentence to me, right? Especially as Enneagram 7, like, where's the yeah. fun? Yeah. Um, and a part of it for me was, I had all these gifts and abilities and talents that I was discovering, you know, through uh, my teenage years and young adulthood of, you know, I was, I was, had a natural talent to play drums and to communicate and to persuade. And, and I wanted to use these abilities, you know, in my life, but I, I felt like I couldn't, like, there was no way that, that God actually made me on purpose and for a purpose. I felt like if I did Jesus-y stuff, that meant I had to do stuff that I would hate and it would be terrible and it would be suffering and martyrdom. And so I, I really, really struggled in, in life to, to trust God with the good stuff in my life. And <clears throat> so spiritual DNA was basically the journey of me um, going through about a decade of discovery of of who God had created me to be and how I could leverage those gifts, those talents, those abilities and the sense of calling to actually live a life that's full of passion, a life that is actually full of peace um, as I dedicate myself to a purpose that's not something that I've, that I've just come up with, but it's truly becoming who I was born to be. And so um, it's gone through a couple of different iterations, but right now, you go through uh, a spiritual pathways assessments that helps you see uh, the main pathways, two or three pathways that you connect best with God. Um, because I found, you know, a lot of times people felt like if you weren't a monk or a nun, or you didn't want to, you know, sit in a prayer closet for 10 hours a day, like there's no way you could be spiritual. That's not true. Um, you, you go through um, uh, a fivefold ministry assessment, or sometimes we take people to a five voice assessment that comes from, uh, actually comes from Ephesians chapter four, where uh, I believe that God has created five archetypes of uh, of calling or five voices that He's placed in each one of us in the way that we, whether we lead, the way we present ourselves in the world, and um, and so you go through that assessment, and you go through the Strength Finder, and the reason I chose Strength Finder is just. The science behind how, you know, your talent is so hardwired into the, you know, the, the synaptic, you know, connections between both hemispheres of your brain. Yeah. Um, I love the strength finders because it helps you really, in my opinion, gives you a tool, a toolkit of like, this is how, what I, how I actually become exceptional in, in these themes. Um, and it's not necessarily like a spiritual thing. It's just, this is how God you know, fired your brain up. Um, and then you go through the final assessment you do is one called passion and pain. And it just takes you through basically a simple life mapping exercise. I find that so many people, uh, I think every person, if they've been alive for, you know, more than probably 16 years, they've experienced what I call death of a dream. Mm -hmm. They had some kind of dream in their life that gave them a sense of purpose, a sense of identity, and it, it died somehow. Um, you know, failure of a company, failure to graduate, death of a family member, divorce. Um, you know, we all go through something that, that brings a sense of pain and death to our life. And um, I have found that that it, when you experience the death of a dream, that being able to actually step into the pain of that death, um, that oftentimes I found that what God does is he uses great pain in our life as an amazing crucible for purpose. Mm -hmm. And if you're looking for a place that you would serve with passion, it usually comes from a place that has caused you great pain. Uh, so you go through that. Uh, it's an online course. We also do some live workshops, but um, we've taken about 3,000 people, uh, over 3,000 people now through the, through the course. And uh, what I find is when people go through that awakening moment where they realize like that aha moment, if you will, like I make sense. 
yeah. you know, from my, the way my brain's wired to my personality to, um, you know, to the pain I've gone through. Nothing's been wasted here. I make sense. And so um, that's what it is. And um, we're about ready to add the Enneagram, actually. We're going to swap out spiritual pathways. Oh, we take people through a, a Young's typology personality thing as well. I forgot about that. Yep. We're going to scrap uh, those two and we're going to add the Enneagram because I think it's, um, it's more in-depth uh, and I mean, for all the reasons that you, that you do Enneagram stuff and that all, the, all your listeners love it. And so we're about to reshoot some videos and hopefully by the end of the summer, we'll, we'll launch Spiritual Day 2.0 and it'll have the Enneagram involved in it. I love that you're doing this work. So you talking about sort of your journey um, just through faith, it, that so resonates with me. So I, mm. I felt everything you said about trying to just show up and be good and... I thought I couldn't be connected to God because I don't think I was that good at prayer, you know? So it's like, I didn't sit and pray for hours. And so I assume that just meant that I, you know, wasn't as good as some of the other people and had a less of a connection to God. Um, mm. So I would say for me, that journey was about four years long that was born out of grief. So I lost yeah. a, a daughter to stillbirth. And so it was mm. like, whoa, like this was a huge pivotal moment for my life. And so I was like, I need something bigger than me. Like there's something I need. I need a different connection here. And so, um, so I, I, you know, worked on kind of building that relationship with God and making it mine. You know, like, I think that's the thing is it can be individual. And I think I was sort of told whether it was real or perceived, but told that it had to be one way. And that was it. You know, that's all, that's the only way it could be. And so I've sort of created that for myself. So that's my sort of spiritual journey, but it took me a long time Took me, you know, a, a lot of years to put all that together. So I love that you're helping people with some sort of framework to get there because there's such a need there. I mean, I hear this all the time where people are like, I don't have a spiritual connection, whether it's to God or, or whatever, whatever they identify with. Um, and I'm like, well, you do. Every, everybody has some type of spiritual connection. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. but they don't know yeah. how to get there. Right. And so I love that you're doing that. I think that's really great work. I appreciate it. Yeah. I, I, it, it, it angers me the way that religion has made a connection to God uh, look like a standardized process. Yeah. And I, you know, I, I think that some of that was good intention is we wanted to help people get, you know, information that could help their life. And if we could scale that quicker, let's, let's standardize it. Let's make it, you know, simple, one size fits all. Um, Cause you can, you know, you can run a lot of people through a, a you know, a process if it's that simple. Um, but it's not. And, and, uh, and that's the beauty of it is that it's, uh, I think the beauty of it is that it's not, it's not that simple. Um, I mean, it's kind of like the Enneagram, you know what I mean? Like if you want, you can skim off the top and go, yeah, here's nine types. Okay. I can memorize what mine means and I kind of get some stuff, but you can just keep peeling back the layers and, and you discover so much truth, so much beauty, you know, within it, within others, within yourself. And, and I think that's the journey that, that God invites us into as well is that, you know, there's great, um, there's things that you can absolutely know, but there's great mystery as well. And, and, and you got to embrace that journey. Yeah, for sure. Well, if you look at the Bible, it's super mysterious. Like there's so much ambiguity there. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so it really isn't one size fits all. Like there's parables for reasons because people take different things from them, you know? And so, yep. yeah, it's, yep. it is, it is fascinating because I would have never said that out loud five years ago. Cause I would have thought like, oh my gosh, if someone heard me said that, they'll think I'm I'm not a believer or, you know, like this is a terrible thing to say. And now I'm like, no, I just sort of own my own spirituality and it looks different than everyone else's and that's fine. So, yeah. 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 Well, Darren, anything else you want to share um, with, with the listeners? Anything else about the Enneagram or any wisdom that you have to share with us? 
wisdom. <laughs> I'm sure you have some wisdom with all of that. You have to. Or tell me about a hobby you have. So I asked another guest that. And he's like, this is going to sound so lame. But my hobby is that I'm the HOA president of my neighborhood. And I actually really love it. Like I love calling all the people and figuring everything out and organizing the meetings. <laughs> so it wasn't what I was expecting. But yeah, like, yeah. So, yeah. so what about a hobby? Something that you really enjoy doing? You know, probably what I do most when, excuse me, when I'm not um, speaking or, uh, or leading in some way, um, um, hosting radio shows or whatever else I do. Um, I coach a lot of youth sports, actually. I have three boys. They're 15, 13, and 9. And uh, I don't coach the 15-year-old anymore because he's in high school sports and stuff. But I've I've coached them all since they were, you know, about fifth, uh, five years old. And so um, basically all I've got left is is my, my, I guess he's a fourth grader now, my nine-year-old. I get to coach him in baseball and football. And I love coaching. Um, you know, it's kind of funny. I was actually coming back to my counselor. I was talking to my counselor um, in the past couple of sessions and we were talking about, you know, Enneagram and just how I show up in different environments. And, and she said, where do you feel like you're your most honest self? And I said, you know what? I feel like I'm the most honest. I feel like I'm the most me when I'm coaching. Oh. And it was a, an interesting um, kind of epiphany for me. And I'm still kind of unpacking it is because um, I find like in in my interpersonal relationships, um, even in leadership, you know, professionally, oftentimes the the instinctual thing that I'll think to say, or the the the, the you know, maybe it's something I need to call out, or an attitude that I need to correct, or some instruction I need to, to give, I, I will throttle back my honesty and and my observation so much because I think I still get caught up so much in what what people are going to think or what their reaction is going to be, or um, but when I'm when I'm coaching, I'm just, you know, super honest with the kids. I, mean, I love them to death, but I mean, because we're just talking about baseball and football and stuff, right? But I'm as honest as I can be because um, I know in that the purity of I just want them to know the game and I want to help them develop as, as, as best they can. And, um, and so it's been, it's been a cool place to, that I, I find so much joy uh, coaching the kids and being with my, my own sons, but it's been a cool uh, developmental journey for me too to realize there's something about that hobby. There's something that that a space that I get into of health and of and of strength and being so much for others in that coaching space that um, I'm in the process of trying to figure out how do I how do I show up that honestly in in the other yeah you know spheres of my life. So so yeah, coaching, play drums. I've been a I was a professional drummer before I was a, a pastor or anything else, and so uh, I don't. I don't have a lot of time anymore. I'm trying to notch out more, but uh, sometimes if you drive past my house and hear drums coming from the basement, it's it's me finding my my happy p- place of uh, of peace, making a bunch of noise on the drums. Yeah, no, that's great. My husband is also a drummer and an Enneagram Seven, so that's interesting. Yeah, it fits. <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, I'm glad you shared that about coaching. I think that's awesome that you're paying attention to that because whenever I have clients that find that and they're like, this is where I can be the most authentic version of myself. I'm like, all right, let's rinse and repeat. Like how, mm. how can we apply this in other areas? Or how can you even volunteer for opportunities that might give you the same, you know, the same ability mm. to show up authentically? So I think that's yeah. really great. And it's fun to watch those kids. I coached my son last year and he was only six. Um, but it was it was so much fun. We had a great time. So yeah. All right, Darren. Well, thank you for joining. And I will have a lot of information in the show notes because I think a lot of people will be interested in spiritual DNA and the work that you're doing. And thank you for doing it because it's so needed. 
Well, that's a joy. And uh, thanks for what you're doing. I love the Enneagram. I love the, the content you're putting out as well. And, and yeah, hopefully this episode is, uh, is helpful to people. Thank you. Hey, hey, thanks for joining me as we jam on the gram. Also, don't forget to hit subscribe so you can get the latest weekly episodes. That's right. I said weekly. And if you want to follow me on LinkedIn and also on Instagram at Indie Enneagram, I would love to have you. And just remember, when it comes to personal growth, there are seven days in the week and someday isn't one of them. Have a great week.